This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I have a pretty interesting tale about a Ouija board. This was about 10 years ago. I was 20 and my brother Keenan was 26. Our grandfather on our dad's side died. And since my dad was distracted by that, Keenan and I decided we'd get granddad's affairs sorted. That started with going to his house and sifting through what we thought dad would want to keep and what was okay to toss or donate. We made it through the kitchen, the bedroom, and we're just about done with the living room. So far, we'd found nothing that was really worth holding on to except for an old photo album that had the original photos of Grandma and Grandpa's wedding and the subsequent honeymoon. While we were flipping through the photos and poking fun at the questionable fashion choices, there was a loud crash from the attic. Keenan and I just stared at each other, our inner dialogue probably saying, Well, I'm not going up there. You have to go up there. We actually had a pretty dramatic argument, and decided that since I was younger and had more life to live, Keenan would check it out in case there was an axe murderer up there waiting for us. Of course, there wasn't, and he actually convinced me to go up there with him when he called down, Darius, you gotta come see this. Keenan was pretty good at pulling practical jokes and pranks, but this wasn't a joke. I poked my head up, my feet still on the ladder, and saw that he was holding a Ouija board. Absolutely not, I said, then started back down the ladder. Keenan was a lot more open-minded than I was. I was under the belief that if you don't fuck with things you weren't supposed to, you won't get fucked with. That goes for things like Ouija boards, rituals like Bloody Mary, haunted locations, or anything that was said to be connected to the afterlife. I went back to the living room, but could hear Keenan coming from down the creaky old ladder saying, You're being dramatic. I didn't want to use it. I just wanted to show you. He was in front of me now, the Ouija board tucked under his arm. I shot him a dirty look and said, You better leave that thing here, or toss it in a fire. He laughed at me, but I was serious, and I let him know I was. When it was time to leave, he was the first to go. He had a wife and a new baby to take care of, while I was single and still living in an apartment. I had a little extra free time. I spent that time tidying up the house before heading out myself. Back home, I went into my trunk to get my bags out, and there it was. A damn Ouija board with a little post-it note that said, With love, and was signed by Keenan. I slammed the trunk shut, decided I'd deal with it and Keenan in the morning, and just went inside to shower and go to bed. It had been a long day. That morning, I went downstairs to start my coffee, but stopped in my tracks when I saw that damn Ouija board sitting on my coffee table. It was square in the middle, with the planchette resting on top. There was no sticky note this time, but that didn't mean Keenan put it there. He had a key to my place in case of emergency, so I don't put this above him. Also, I never locked my car, so getting it out would have been a breeze. Still, though, 
Driving all the way out there to further this prank would have been extreme. I told myself I'd throw it out once I had some coffee and woke up some more, but when I was in the kitchen, I heard something scraping over something in the living room. It was loud enough to be heard over the gurgling of the coffee pot, and the best way I can describe it would be the sound a large dresser would make when going across a hardwood floor. It wasn't nearly that loud exactly, but it was definitely wood on wood. I guess now would be a good time to explain what the board looked like. It wasn't one of those you'd see beside board games nowadays, with the cardboard Ouija board and the plastic planchette. This one was carved, most likely by hand, from one solid piece of wood. I don't know much about wood, but it was very light red. From some research, I would guess it was likely a red sanders tree. The planchette was much darker, but still red. It could have been stained. The small opening near the top of it was glass, not plastic. In all seriousness, it was a beautiful thing to look at. I just didn't want it in my home. The grinding had come to a stop by this point, and I let out a breath I hadn't realized I was holding. Slowly, I made my way back into the living room, and the planchette had moved. Now, I was willing to believe Keenan had moved this thing into my house last night, but there was no way he'd stay here overnight or snuck in this morning just to move this thing. I knew there was something off about it the moment he brought it down from the attic. I walked over to it, and instead of the planchette resting in the middle like it was this morning, it had moved over to the small hello in the top left of the board. I felt frozen in that moment, afraid to move. I was worried if I said or did anything, he would start moving again, and I didn't think I could handle that. I called Keenan, fully intent on yelling at him for bringing this thing into my house, but when he answered, all my animosity went out the window. Keenan was audibly upset and distraught. Darius, I was just about to call you, man. Listen, we need to get rid of that fucking board as soon as we can. I'm sorry I put it in your car, but you have to get rid of it. Keenan went on to explain that he'd had a horrible nightmare last night. In this nightmare, he saw Grandad take his own life over and over again in various different ways. It just never stopped, he said. I woke up sweating and crying. I got into the shower to try and clear my head, but no matter how cold I set the water, it was burning my back. I got Malik to look at it and... Just look. I'll send you a picture. I pulled up the picture on my phone and wanted to cry. Keenan's back was riddled with thin scratches from top to bottom. Some of them had small dots of blood coming from them. I'm heading to the ER to get them checked out and make sure I don't have any weird disease, but I need you to destroy that board. He was serious. This wasn't an elaborate joke. Without thinking, I snatched up the board, threw it in the fire pit, poured lighter fluid all over it, and set it ablaze. The smoke was thick and black, and the smell was foul. After a few hours and a long talk with my landlord about when it's appropriate to have a fire in the backyard, the board was finally gone. I spoke with Keenan sometime later and he explained everything. Apparently the Ouija board wasn't just lying around in the attic like I'd initially thought. It had been 
locked away in a box with other equally questionable things. Turned out Grandad used to be into some strange things when he was younger and had locked it all away for a reason. Keenan is better now. The scratches never really got a medical explanation, but I don't think either of us expected that, and they cleared up after a few weeks. Luckily, I never had anything like that happen to me. The other things in the box were disposed of the same way the board was, and neither I, Keenan, or his husband Malik told anyone in the family about it. It wasn't the right time, given we just lost Grandad, and honestly, I don't think the right time will ever come. It's nice to get it out there, though. The picture is long gone now, so please don't ask for it. Ever since I was a kid, I loved being outside at night. It didn't matter if it was summertime or wintertime. I loved being out in the dark when everything was quiet. It was therapeutic for me. I could get away from the stress of everyday life, like grades, school, my parents. It continued on when I got older, too. As a teenager, I'd walk around outside my yard anywhere from 12 to 4 a.m. My parents weren't too mad about it, seeing as we lived in a pretty safe neighborhood, and our backyard was fenced in. I'd lay on our trampoline, looking out at the stars and listening to the subtle sounds of the insects and the occasional person coming home from a late-night shift. When I was finally old enough to live alone, I broadened my horizons and started going on nightly walks. First, it was just through the neighborhood, but eventually I started walking through a park not far from my house. It was a nice park. Not too big, but it did have a few trails that led through a forested area where only people and dogs were permitted, so you wouldn't have to worry about people with bikes staying on their side of the path. Sorry to any bikers out there, but y'all do get in the way. I was on one of these late night walks on those trails that I saw something that has kept me off of them since. I was already pretty tired from a long day at work, but winding down with a walk sounded perfect. I threw on my walking shoes and headed out. Around halfway down the trail, I noticed how quiet the forest was. Of course it was late, but that never stopped the nocturnal animals from making noise. In the few times I'd done this before, I'd heard owls, some deers, maybe a fox once or twice, but now it was strange. It felt wrong, for lack of a better word. I decided it was best for me to just head back home and go to bed. I was tired anyway, and I had the day off the next day, so I could even sleep in. With me promising myself I would do just that, I turned to go back to the trailhead, but stopped. Something was standing in the middle of the trail. At the time, I thought I knew what it was. It looked like a deer, though it was a big one, just standing there. Staring at me as if trying to figure out what it wanted to do. I had a headlamp on to light the way, but it was sent to the lowest possible setting. I only needed a few feet in front of me, and I didn't want to bother the wildlife that was out there, but I thought if I turned up the light, maybe this thing would get spooked and run off. I reached up, turned the dial two notches. The light was focused on the deer now, and I could make out more of its features. This is where the story gets a bit gross, so if you're sensitive to animals being hurt, you may want to stop reading, but I'll try to keep it brief. The deer was missing one of its eyes, and the other one was hanging from its socket. 
The nose was completely gone, torn off and showing the bone, and there was no bottom jaw to speak of. There was blood and drool dripping from the deer's tongue. I fought the urge to vomit as I looked at its hooves and realized the only reason I thought it was so big at first is because it was being held off the ground by something behind it. I wasn't able to get a great look at it, but from what I saw it was at least six to seven feet tall. It stood on hind legs but was hunching over to avoid the branches above it. The best uh, approximation I can give was if a Great Dane were to stand straight up, but also hunch and hold the deer in its mouth. Its eyes caught the light from my headlamp for a half second and glowed red. I hauled ass. Through absolute luck, I made it out of the forested area and back to the park without tripping or breaking an ankle, but once I was out, I didn't stop until I was underneath a street light and felt close enough to civilization that someone would hear me if I screamed. I must have scanned that tree line for 20 minutes, trying to make sure that the thing didn't follow me out. I eventually made it home, tried to do some research into what could be in the area, and the best candidate I could find would be a bear, but a very sick one. One that had lost most, if not all, of its fur, and was running around trying to find something more tasty than a few berries. Apparently bears do eat deer, especially in the summer when this took place, so I've been telling myself for years that's what I saw. That's what I told the city official and local wildlife authorities also. A search was done of the wooded area, but they found nothing. No dead deer, no malnourished bears, just the regular animals you'd expect. They did end up fencing off the woods to locals, but kept most of the trails open. I know I probably sound insane, and believe me, I wish I was, but I know what I saw that night, and I won't be walking at night anymore. I tell this one a lot, but I've only ever had a handful of people believe me. There's going to be talk of addiction and heavy drug use, so I'd skip this if you're sensitive to that. I used to break into houses fairly regularly. I was in my early 20s, strung out on some serious shit, living with eight other people in my same situation, and wanted money. Easiest thing to do, seeing as I couldn't hold a job longer than a week, was to steal money or jewelry and sell it to my local pawn shop to score a few hundred bucks. The owner of the pawn shop, Barry, definitely had his suspicions about me and my friend, but he never asked questions. Besides, the police in town were about as useful as a spoon in a sinking ship. One particular night, I believe it was a Friday, I'd been without a good high in three days and was getting incredibly desperate. A lot of the houses in my general vicinity had gotten smart about my friends and I. Many had brought home a dog recently, put up some cameras. Other just bought motion sensor floodlights. All were great ways to ensure no one was ever going to try and break into your house. And then I got word of a house at the dead end of a road that was recently foreclosed on. It was about five miles from where I was staying, but I had a bike, so the trip wouldn't have been that unbearable. And as I've said... I probably would have walked round trip distance twice if it meant that I could get high. I rolled up to the house and dropped my bike in the driveway. Tip was spot on. There was a paper sign on the door explaining that since the tenant had failed to pay their mortgage, the house was now under ownership of the bank and would soon be up for auction as is. 
That was exciting, as it meant everything would have been left behind. Obviously, big things like TVs and game consoles, the biggest at the time being an Xbox, would be out of the question for me on my bike, but I hoped I could score a few jewelry boxes and some smaller electronics. I picked the lock and stepped in, closing the door behind me. I knew that the lock to the house was put there by the city, so I had no more than three to four minutes before the boys in blue came bursting through the door looking for me. I knew immediately this was an older person's home. There was plastic covering the furniture, and the house had that familiar old person smell that we all know. With that in mind, I skipped over the living room, as it was unlikely this person had a gaming console, and headed straight to the bedroom. I was much luckier there. On top of an incredibly ornate and admittedly beautiful dresser sat three different jewelry boxes. I looked through the first two and saw diamond rings, earrings, pearls, the works. Whoever lived here loved to go out and look good while doing it. It was as I was tossing the second box into my bag that I heard the squeak of a door opening behind me. Out of pure instinct, I dropped everything and threw my hands up. While the police were useless, as I said before, they were more likely to kill someone than they were to bring you in for questioning. It's easier that way, I guess. But luckily for me, it wasn't the police. Though I'm now wishing it was. The bedroom door wasn't the one that was creaking open. It was the closet door. As it reached the halfway point, a hand came around the side. It had been pretty dark in there, but I was able to make out the hand as it was incredibly pale and contrasted heavily on the dark stain of the door. It was an older woman's hand. The fingers were long and bony. The nails were long and painted a deep red. As more of the hand and then arm came out, I said, I'm leaving right now. I'm dropping everything and leaving. And I had every intention to. I left my bag on the floor and started toward the bedroom door, but now there was a little old lady standing in front of it. She was small, no taller than 5'3", and she wore a light green nightgown, had very little hair, and her nails were painted red. Was this the same woman from the closet? I thought. It couldn't be. How'd she move that quickly? I spoke again. Ma'am, I'm leaving. I don't have anything of yours. I left it in the bag. I didn't think anyone lived here, and I'm just trying to make some money. The woman's sweet face turned sour, and she made her way over to me very slowly. She looked as if she was barely holding on, and again I found myself asking how she made it to the door that fast if she could barely move now. Looking up at me, she held a long, skinny finger and said, Don't. Come back. I pushed past her, ran through the house, hopped on my bike, and hauled ass back to where I was staying. As I was back, there were only about three to four people there. I was so freaked out and tried to explain to them what happened, but they were too blasted to even know I was in the room. I ended up sleeping under an overpass that night. Around a week later, I found out why the house was really foreclosed on. Yes, the woman who lived there hadn't paid for a few months, but it was because she was recovering from breast cancer. She didn't have any extended family, and her husband had passed just a few years before the house was foreclosed. Apparently, when she had come back in for a routine checkup, the cancer had returned, and it was far worse. 
she took her own life when she got back home. I used the library computers to look up her name and found out that she'd hung herself in the closet, the same one I saw her walk out of. I can see why no one believes me, but I'll never forget that little old lady or her house. As for me, I'm doing much better. Not long after that experience, I started to take a step back and really think about what I was doing, how it affected people I targeted, how it affected me. I was on the brink of death, at some point doing the bare minimum to get by. Using the last bit of money I had, I reached out to a family member and poured my heart out. They said I could live with them as long as I stayed sober and went to rehab. It's been well over 12 years and I haven't looked back. I think about that old woman a lot whenever someone asks about ghost stories, and I tell them this one. It's always met with, you probably hallucinated, or you were having a bad trip and don't remember it right. <laughs> yeah, I wish that were true. I've been an avid camper since I was a kid. My dad would always take my mom and I on hikes through national parks to the camping grounds and we'd spend two to three days out there. A lot of kids at school didn't get the appeal, but it was something that I fell in love with on our first trip out. Our trips became annual. We'd plan work and school schedules to make sure we could get at least two days of a trip or it wasn't worth it. We were a camping family. But of course, as I got older, so did my parents, and soon they weren't able to go out as often as we usually did. That's when I got the idea of going out on my own for the first time. This was last year, 2021, so COVID was of course a thing, but a lot of national parks had their camping sites open since, well, they were in the middle of the woods. I reserved a spot online and headed out. It was sometime in mid-July, way past the 4th. The trails to the site were pretty quiet. It was a new park, so I had no idea what to expect, but the scenery was just incredible. There were countless streams, towering rock faces, and even a few waterfalls. I made sure to take plenty of photos for my parents, but halfway down the trail, I found myself completely entranced. I couldn't even think about looking at all of that through the lens of a camera, so I opted to just sit for a few minutes on the bank of a large river. I was so focused on the water, I hadn't even realized that it was no longer making noise. I shook my head a bit to try and shake myself from daydreaming, thinking that I'd somehow zoned it all out, but after a few seconds of hearing nothing, I became worried. I called out, Hello? But I couldn't hear it. Even more scared now, I kept yelling out to anyone who was near me, hoping that they would hear me. Eventually, someone came from behind and grabbed me by the shoulders and shook me. You okay, buddy? It was an older man dressed like he was maybe working for the park. I, I wanted to hug him, kiss him on the face, just because I was ecstatic about hearing again, but I held back and just said, Yeah, I think I just got a little lost while coming to the river. Can you point me to Campsite 3? He pointed me in the general direction and said, Just look for the markings on the tree. I'll take you straight to it. You want me to come with you? I politely declined and went about my way, still thinking about what had just happened. 
In all my years of camping, nothing like that had ever taken place. I made it to the campsite without another incident and set up quickly. It was already beginning to get dark, so I set up a fire and started cooking shortly after. After dinner, I put out the fire and went to my small tent for some reading by headlamp when I noticed it. Sounds were gone again. I sat up in my sleeping bag to make sure. I really focused in, trying to listen for anything. An owl, deer, hell. I'd take a complete stranger at that point. But there was nothing. I made my way out of the sleeping bag and unzipped the tent slowly, though it felt pointless because I wasn't even sure if anyone would have heard it. Outside the tent, the humidity and heat really hit me. I was surprised by how much better it felt in the tent, and I was tempted to just go back inside and wait out this bizarre situation, but something in me said I needed to know. Outside the tent now, I turned up the intensity on my headlamp and scanned the tree line. I almost didn't see it at first. It blended in so well with the trees that I'm still not sure I was hallucinating or dreaming. It was tall, maybe six or seven feet high, wore a blank expression. It seems silly now, but all I could think about was Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy. It blended in with everything around it, so even with the headlamp, I had a hard time focusing. It looked to be covered in tree bark and moss, maybe even vines, but in some spots where the covering was thinner, I could see a bright white skin underneath. That's when it occurred to me that maybe this was actually a person. Someone who'd gotten lost and needed help. Maybe they were covered in all that because they'd fallen down a steep hill. I called out to it, and it seemed to perk up for a second, but when I stepped forward, it bolted in the opposite direction. I'd never seen anything move as quickly as that thing did. Sound returned to the forest soon after its departure as well. Shaken, but not willing to pack up and leave in the middle of the night, I crawled back into my tent and forced my eyes shut until I finally fell asleep. The following morning, I was out of the park before the receptionist was in. I told my parents about it that day as well, and while they claimed to have never seen anything like it, they also made me promise I'd never go back to that state park again. I assured them I wouldn't, and I meant it. I don't know what the hell that thing was, but... I'd be glad if I never saw it again. Hey everyone, I hope you all enjoyed the stories tonight. If you have a personal scary story that you'd like to share, be sure to leave it in the comments below. I would love to hear them, and I'm sure everyone else listening would like to read them as well. But... Uh, don't really have a question for tonight. I guess it could be, have you ever camped alone, and would you ever do it again? Personally, no and no. <laughs> Camping alone sounds like an actual nightmare. Um, I'm not an outdoorsy person, and I also don't like being alone, especially in an unfamiliar place. And I feel like you can only get so familiar with the outside, like the forest or even campsites in general. So, no thanks. I'm also very easily startled when it's dark outside, so I don't think I would last very long. 
but I'd be interested to hear if you all have ever done it and if you would do it again. So while you're down there writing those comments, I'm going to thank all of the $5 patrons and members. Absinthe Alice, Alice E, Amethyst, Amet, Caroline, Christina Smith, CT, Deborah Tychus, Elizabeth Watkins, Ellis G, Furious Weasel, If in Doubt, Flat Out, Jennifer Dameron, Jesse Jess Jess, Justinia Zaromsky, Karen Parrott, Kat, Kathy Fanning, Lee Riggs, Laura, Lindsay Pruitt, Melody Evans, Melissa Berwick, Mindy Bannon, Moon Potato, Nicholas Moore, Nora, Nova Nocturne, Patricia Rodea, PJ Masks, Ray Clegg, Sentinel, The New On Gum 24, Tiger Princess, Tish Love, Triumph, and Victoria Step. Thank you all for the continued support, and thank you all to everyone who stops by and listens to these videos. I really, really appreciate you. Take care, everyone, and please stay safe out there.